My name is Peter Kershaw, a planning consultant in the Paris Smith planning team, and I would like to welcome listeners to the first of a two-part series of podcasts from me around the housing crisis, beginning with this inaugural podcast exploring how accessible housing providers can provide their long-term investment planning for elderly and disabled housing schemes. I would like to begin my podcast with a moment of reflection, because Winston Churchill made a really powerful observation in October 1943. He stated with absolute conviction that we shape our buildings, and afterwards our buildings shape us. The potent truth behind Churchill's observation is one reason why the housing crisis is so deeply concerning for us all as we grow older. Because our homes, the very physical environments where we increasingly spend more and more of our time as we grow older, have the power to either enable or disable us. The quality and location of our homes can make us feel in control of our lives, well connected to others and fulfilled, or leave us feeling unable to manage, disconnected from society and often extremely lonely. There has been a lack of infrastructure and a lack of appropriate housing built in some areas, which has resulted in large proportions of our elderly, disabled and younger generations being stuck in housing, unsuitable to enable them to live independent lives in. It is why housing severely impacts on both our physical and our mental well-being, and it is why the housing crisis has become the silent backdrop to a number of interwoven societal issues, which we as individuals, families and the country as a whole will not be able to avoid over the coming years and decades. With 93% of the country's housing stock estimated by the Centre for Ageing Better as not having the basic characteristics to allow for independent living, I believe it is crucial that stakeholders are now more ambitious and innovative when setting their future investment strategies for elderly and disabled housing. In this podcast, I would therefore like to play my role in helping shine a light on the opportunities and resources available to accessible housing providers to assist them in strengthening the evidence base behind their long-term strategic investment plans for elderly and disabled housing. I start by making listeners aware of the evidence available around people's housing expectations. And listeners should also be mindful of the differentials in specialist housing needs across the country. One piece of evidence available on the housing expectations of these two groups was undertaken by the Ipsos Mori Social Research Institute. As part of a wider programme of research and thought leadership, Ipsos Mori was commissioned by Habinteg Housing Association and the Papworth Trust Disability Charity to conduct a survey of the public to consider their attitudes to accessible housing. A nationally representative survey involving 2,074 face-to-face interviews of adults across Britain was consequently, I understand, conducted between March and April 2016. And when we look at the conclusions of the June 2016 Accessible Housing Survey, Public Perceptions of Accessible Housing, they're of great interest to stakeholders when reviewing their current and future investment plans because the evidence specifically illustrated that there is a demand for a wide variety of housing schemes to cater for both disabled residents and the elderly. One example, when the public were asked about their future housing preference, if they ever needed care or support in the future as a result of long-term illness, disability or infirmity, the results indicated that although the majority of respondents, 50%, favoured remaining in their own accommodation with some adaptations being made. 
Crucially, a very significant 25% of respondents, which is estimated to be equivalent of approximately 12.9 million people across Britain as a whole, they indicated that they would actually favour moving to property specifically designed or adapted to enable independent living, if it was available. Of those respondents saying that they would favour moving to a property specifically designed or adapted to enable independent living, nearly three quarters said that they would favour moving to accessible accommodation that had been specifically adapted for their needs, with only one quarter preferring to move to accessible accommodation which provides specialist care and support, such as sheltered housing, supported nursing or residential accommodation. When we look at further analysis of the survey results, it revealed that older people, owner-occupiers, those that are currently not working, and those with an annual household income of 25,000 or above, are actually more likely than their subgroup counterparts to favour remaining in their current property with adaptations than moving on to a specifically modified housing scheme. In contrast, those living in the private rented sector are more likely to favour moving to different property specifically designed or adapted to enable independent living. The survey was only based on people who were not currently in need of specialist housing, but who were asked to hypothetically imagine their preference should they in later life need specifically adapted housing. The results are useful in adding to the narrative around this issue because the results highlighted a significant percentage of people who would in theory favour moving to specifically adapted accommodation suitable to their needs, if it were available. Crucially, the survey results also insightfully gave an indication as to when people were more likely to make such a move. In general, The results of the survey broadly illustrated that people's appetite for moving to specifically adapted property was greater before they entered their later years, when they were not currently disabled. For me, it is perhaps a result of currently not having enough suitable accessible housing schemes available to encourage this easier transition, that some disabled residents of all ages and the elderly, perhaps a significant number, are being are being left scared of making such a big and disruptive transition during their later years and then become trapped in inaccessible homes. I believe there's therefore a great strategic and financial challenge emerging for stakeholders and policymakers to try and make accessible housing schemes available for people to move into at a time in their lives when such a transition in their living arrangements is something which they feel is actually within their control and something that, which they would actually choose to do as a sensible option to plan for their futures. To help us consider this demographic in more detail, the Centre for Ageing Better, who contributed to the Building Research Establishment Healthy Places for People conference in 2017, created a helpful breakdown to illustrate the many diverse ways in which they understand that elderly people might experience later life. They describe the following elderly groups. Perhaps you're in the thriving boomers, who are typically in their 60s and 70s, living with a partner, financially secure, in good health, strong social connections, who are deemed to have the highest overall levels of happiness. 
Or perhaps you might describe yourself as a downbeat boomer, who are demographically similar to thriving boomers, financially secure, in good health, strong social connections, but only average levels of happiness. And then there are the can-do and connected, who are usually in their 70s and 80s and often widowed, poor health and lacking in disposable income, but higher than average levels of happiness, strong social connections, and can rely on others and have a positive outlook on life. Or perhaps you're in a worried and disconnected group, who are typically aged 70 or over and retired, financially stable, but sometimes with poor mental health, more likely to be socially isolated, often due to bereavement or losing social connections they had through work, with below average levels of happiness. And then we come to the squeezed middle-aged, who are predominantly in their 50s, in good health, still in work, squeezed for time and finances and in their homes, caring responsibilities for children and parents perhaps, so less time for social connections and preparations for later life. And then we come to the struggling and alone, who are spread across all ages, long-standing health conditions which affect their ability to work and have social connections, likely to be living alone, with few people to rely on, and are more likely to experience financial insecurity, perhaps with the lowest levels of happiness. I think all of us are capable of being in one, one or more of those groups as we grow old. We may know people who are in those groups now. And I think, I think for me, and for all stakeholders involved in the housing crisis and in planning for elderly and disabled housing, it's important that, that we, we remember the lack of housing and the, the actual impact it's having on people's lives on a day-to-day basis and their families. I think as, as families and as society, that the problems we're facing are becoming more entangled because of this lack of housing. Uh, and it's impacting on people's physical health and mental health. It's constricting our economies. And that's why it's so important that accessible housing providers soak up all the, all the available help from organisations uh, and research and studies that have been undertaken to try and strengthen their evidence base so that they can make really robust and ambitious targets for the future in terms of their investment in elderly and disabled accessible housing. There are a number of organisations who might be able to assist stakeholders when they prepare the evidence base for their future investment decisions and the following list is by no means exhaustive. The Centre for Ageing Better can help support housing associations and local authorities to more effectively plan for an ageing population. And then there's the Building Research Establishment, BREE, and they contain three particularly informative briefing papers on their website titled The Cost of Poor Housing to the NHS, Homes and an Ageing England Briefing Paper in collaboration with Public Health England, and The Cost of Poor Housing in the European Union. Additionally, for local authorities or housing associations also wishing to plan for a significant upgrade of their existing housing stock in order to better enable residents to remain living in their homes in old age, the Building Research Establishment's Housing Health Cost Calculator actually quantifies and demonstrates the health cost benefits of housing improvements. We then have the Housing Learning and Improvement Network 
otherwise known as Housing Lynn, which provides advice on specialist housing and care. Its Dementia and Housing Working Group aims to promote the contribution of the housing sector to improving the health and well-being and quality of life for people living with dementia. They have also published a document, Retirement Living Explained, a guide for planning and design professionals. We then have the Retirement Housing Group, or RHG, which is a membership organisation which works to encourage the development of good quality retirement housing and makes the case for a choice of housing for older people. And they do this by researching and demonstrating demand, alerting local authorities to the level of need in their area, engaging with central and local government to show how barriers to development can be overcome, and advising on how planning policies can meet the needs of older people. All of these organisations are passionate about improving housing options for the elderly and the disabled, and can be a very valuable source of information for accessible housing providers. In conclusion, I do hope that this podcast has helped to shed light on the resources available to assist accessible housing providers when they look to build the evidence base behind their ambitious future plans to invest in elderly and disabled housing schemes. Should you require any further information in relation to planning consultancy or planning law services for disabled or elderly housing, then please do not hesitate to get in touch with me at peter.kershaw.com k-e-r-s-h-a-w at parissmith.co.uk